How is it that we can be wise? That we don't give in to foolish preaching or teaching that is wrong or deceptive. That teaching which denies the deity and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. That denies the infallibility and inspiration and the authority of Scripture. First of all, we need to understand that God's Word is true. And then we need to filter everything through the Word of God. Does what is being said match up with the Scriptures? Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. There's nothing wrong at all in getting baptized after you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about baptism, how it's an important you know, act for a Christian to be baptized, but it's a statement. It's an outward expression, an outward thing that takes place of an inward change that's already taken place. It is a public declaration that I've already given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm a new creature in Christ. So we've talked about the symbolism of baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, but it shows and it declares and gives a testimony that we're already saved. So Paul here, he, he's saying, I thank God he didn't baptize any of you. The other side of the pendulum here is Paul's not saying that baptism is not important either. But what he is emphasizing here is baptism is not going to make you a Christian and provide salvation. And if it did, he would not write here, I thank God that I baptized none of you. He says, I did Crispus. You remember Crispus? We talked about him last week. He was the ruler of the synagogue that came over and got saved. Gaius, and oh yeah, the household of Stephanus, and there are others, if there are, I don't remember, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. I didn't come to develop a following around me, is what he's saying, or come to make it a priority to baptize, but I came and made it a priority to preach the gospel, that is the good news. I came to preach Christ and him crucified. And that's what saves you. Jesus is the one that brings regeneration to you, not a man. And it isn't baptism. I didn't come with the wisdom of words. Now, here in verse 17, Paul begins to change themes a bit. He says, I didn't come in man's wisdom. I came with a simple, single, but powerful truth. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was put into a tomb. He rose again three days later and now sits at the right hand of the Father. So you turn to him, surrender to him, come in faith to him for salvation, forgiveness. He will give you a new heart. Now remember that the mindset of the Greeks at this time was philosophy and knowledge and wisdom. All that was very important to them. That was something that they excelled in and wanted to learn. And Paul says something very important to them here. He says, I didn't come with persuasive words or with excellence of speech but with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And I really like that, just simply telling people the love and provision of Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't come to impress you with my speech, but to point you to Jesus and Him crucified. I didn't come to develop a following around me, for you are to follow the one who died on a tree. 
I think that any of us who teach, whether we teach a small group or uh, whether we teach young people or youth or whoever it might be, me as a pastor, as a teacher, I need to be careful that I'm not trying to get people to follow after me and, and try to get a following after me and how you know, great I can be or exalt myself or people look to me all the time because I'm going to fail. I can't save you. I can't bring forgiveness to you. I don't want to focus on how clever I can be and dynamic I can be and all these other things that you can get caught up in if you're not careful. And so as we continue to go through the scriptures, as the pastor here and as a shepherd, I want to minister to you the things of God. I want to make sure that you're taken care of and fed and, and to make sure you're the best fed, best loved sheep and greedy. Certainly I do. I want to give you the text as we go through the scriptures and its context, how it is that we can apply it in our lives. And if I can do that, then what I am doing is I'm pointing you past me to Jesus Christ. And that's what I am to do, not to elevate myself or try to get a following around me or around the name Calvary Chapel, but to point you to Jesus Christ so you can learn the wisdom of God, so you know salvation, how it comes through Jesus Christ and how it is that he wants you to live for him. So that's really what Paul is getting at here. And he, it's going to help them as he says, I didn't come with the wisdom of man to have a following after me. I came to give you a single simple message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's going to help you as you remember that in this whole problem and division. Stay focused on Christ, the message of Christ, the message of the cross. In verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. The world hears our message of the cross of Jesus. And the response of the world is, that's foolishness. That's silly. That's nonsense. Why? Because people believe that they can save themselves. A lot of people do. There are people that think, well, there's many ways to heaven. There's many ways to God. I pulled up an interesting article, and it talks about one denomination. And, and I'm not picking on one denomination, but I think we see this in a lot of denominations, and we're seeing it more even in independent churches. But it just kind of shows us kind of the thinking of more and more people that are in churches today. And it says that some reject John fourteen six, of course, where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the statement of faith that the nation's largest Presbyterian denomination says God, through Jesus Christ, delivers followers from death to eternal life. But a poll done by the Presbyterian panel's religious and demographic profile of Presbyterians found that 36% of members disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement. And the reason that people are saying Jesus isn't the only way to heaven, that there are other ways, is because of the teaching that has taken place more and more behind the pulpit in churches at large. And so when we do talk about division, folks, need to understand that Paul's talking about don't be dividing over a man, don't be dividing over issues that shouldn't be bringing division. Now we also know, as we saw in the book of Colossians and the other epistles that we've gone through, that when there were false teachers coming in, or there was that preaching of that which is false, Paul would address it, wouldn't he? And he addressed the Gnostics. He addressed those 
who were Judaizers, the legalists. He would say in the book of Philippians, he says, beware of the mutilators. Beware of the dogs, you know, he would say. To the Galatian churches, I marvel that you so quickly move away from the gospel to another which is not the gospel. So Paul was very firm in pointing those out who were bringing true harm and false doctrine and teaching those who were false apostles and prophets that would come into the church. We see the apostles were warned continually about those things. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, that's a whole emphasis of Paul is the false apostles that had come in and prophets. But Paul didn't want them dividing on issues that they shouldn't be dividing on because they're centered around a man. Or this person baptized me, and therefore I'm saved, and I'm really a Christian, and you're not, because you weren't baptized by them. So keep everything in proper perspective here, and whenever there is false teaching that is taking place or a new movement that comes blowing through the church that is false, we need to recognize it, and we need to point it out. So Paul here, he, he says that um, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those of the world who will look at the gospel message, hear the gospel message, and say, that's silly. What do you mean Jesus is the only one that saves? What do you mean i got to come to him for forgiveness of sin? There are people that think that they don't need God. But to us who embrace the message of the cross, those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And the whole theme of the book of Romans is just that, isn't it? In chapter 1, verse 16 of Romans. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. There is power in the gospel, the power to save, the power to bring forgiveness, the power to change a person's life. And then Paul here, as we read, would quote from Isaiah chapter 29, verse uh, 14, there in verse 19 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And as he quotes from Isaiah chapter 29 here, it was at a time where the prophet Isaiah was ministering there to the house of Judah. And the house of Israel up north had already been taken away into captivity by the mighty Assyrians. The Assyrians came down, took off those, away those ten northern tribes, put fish hooks in their mouths, drug them off into captivity. They began to flex their muscle even more, and they came down into Judah, and they began to take captive some of the cities of Judah, and finally we see that they came to Jerusalem, and they surrounded Jerusalem with many, many soldiers. And the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, began to mock Hezekiah the king. Now what had happened before they surrounded Jerusalem, when Hezekiah had heard that the Assyrians were coming, he used man's wisdom, his own understanding, and he took some of the gold and the silver out of the temple there in Jerusalem, and he sent it to the king of Assyria to try to appease him, to pay him off. It didn't work. The king of Assyria said, oh, thank you very much for the gold and silver. By the way, we're going to surround your city here in a few months, and we're going to destroy you. So that's what man's wisdom did. So here is Shennacherib with the most mighty and powerful army on the face of the earth surrounds Jerusalem. Shennacherib begins to, to insult the God of Israel and begin to mock him and Hezekiah, and why would you turn to God? So Hezekiah and the leader's and those in Jerusalem at that time would then turn to God's wisdom and God's power, wouldn't they? And they would begin to fast and they would begin to pray. And you know the rest of the story that's recorded for us in the book of Isaiah. That an angel, one angel came and destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. Shennacherib would go home to his hometown and his home place to 
his pagan temple and they came in and killed him there. So man can try to be so wise, but it's nothing compared to the wisdom of God, the power of God. And remember what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2, that in him, that is in Jesus, is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't be cheated by man's wisdom and philosophies and empty deceits. And the Corinthians needed to be established in that. Because man's wisdom was an important part of their culture. So Paul writes in verse 20, where is the wise? And where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? It is man's wisdom that is foolishness. It may sound impressive to the people of the world. It may be intriguing. But in eternity's values and views, it's foolishness. God would declare in the book of Isaiah that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And throughout the history of man, God has worked in ways that the world would have never imagined or believed. God in his marvelous works has revealed the foolishness of man. Would human wisdom, had the children of Israel backed themselves up against the Red Sea with two mountain ranges on both sides, so that when the Egyptian chariots came to them to attack them, that they would be boxed in? But it was God's wisdom and God's power that would open up the Red Sea. And they would cross on dry land, and then he would drown the Egyptian army. Would it be the world's wisdom and man's wisdom that would have 300 men of Gideon in the book of Judges go up against 135,000 of the Midianites? But it was God's power and wisdom that would bring victory to them to where he got the glory. Would it be man's wisdom and world's wisdom that would tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 to not bow down to that ultimatum that Nebuchadnezzar made to them. You bow down to this idol that I made or you're going to be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. And they would say, not us, Nebuchadnezzar. And we're not going to bow down to your statue, but we're going to be committed to the true God that we believe in. And it was the wisdom and the power of God that would save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from that burning fiery furnace. Is it man's wisdom that tells us that we are to love others and look out for their interest, to humble ourselves, to die to self, and to submit to God? Would worldly wisdom and man's wisdom have declared that God would send his son to this world to die for you because of his love for you? So Paul is saying, where is the wise? Where are the scribes? Where where is this worldly wisdom? Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Now when Paul talks about the foolishness of the message preached, he's not talking about preaching foolishness, all right? There's all kinds of things that can be preached that you hear it and you think, that's foolishness. That doesn't line up with what the word of God has to say. But here, the emphasis here, and the primary meaning of what Paul is talking about in context, God is the source of wisdom, and the problem with the world's wisdom is it doesn't know God. So that's where the problem is. If you don't know God, then you don't have the access to the source of true wisdom. In Him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't be confused. He's not saying that the good news of the gospel is foolishness, that is the preaching of foolishness, but the world doesn't know God, and to them it is foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God to salvation. 
So Paul here making that contrast between the foolishness of man, which is man calls wisdom, and then the wisdom of God, which the world that doesn't know God thinks is foolishness. So are we clear on that? I want to make sure that we are. God's true wisdom here contrasts with man's supposed wisdom. But I do want to make a secondary application here that I think is important for us in the day and age in which we live. I want to bring it home a little bit closer to us this morning. That the way that we can be discerning and the way that we can be wise and different things that are being taught in the church today or different movements or different experiences that come into the church today. And we see that more and more. We see those who are behind the pulpits that are teaching things that, that don't line up with Scripture, adopting man's wisdom, man's philosophies, things like that, having more the mindset of the world and society. And we need to be discerning and not cheated or persuaded in those things. How is it that we can be wise, that we don't give in to foolish preaching or teaching that is wrong or deceptive, that teaching which denies the deity and sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that denies the infallibility and inspiration and the authority of Scripture. First of all, we need to understand that God's Word is true, and then we need to filter everything through the Word of God. Does what is being said match up with the Scripture? Can you verify it through the Word of God? And you know, since I've been a Christian and since I've been teaching the Word of God, every so often there's different movements or experiences that come blowing through the church. And whenever that happens, they say, oh, this is of God. This is what I do. I say, okay, do I see it in the life of Jesus Christ? Do I see it practiced in the book of Acts? Is it taught in the epistles? If you have those three ducks in the line, then you're in good shape. But you see, if a preacher stands up and he says, hey, Let's just all be drunk in the spirit and stagger around. Or let's all bark and howl in the spirit, something like that. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine. We were talking about one of the new things that we see in a movement today that attracts a lot of young people is pastors that cuss over the pulpit. That's kind of a cool thing to be relevant in all of this. The cussing pastor. So I say, okay. Where do I see it in Jesus' life? I don't see where he ever cussed. Do I see it modeled in the book of Acts? No, I don't. Do I see it explained and expounded on in the epistles? I don't. Matter of fact, we're told that we're to let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouths. So if you don't see it in that way, then take it and lay it aside. Any experience with which the church is involved, then we must be able to say, just as Peter did on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers and they began to speak in tongues and the people were hearing it and they said, they're drunk. And Peter stood up and said, they're not drunk as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And Peter went on to quote from Joel chapter 2. In other words, Peter was explaining what was taking place as a fulfillment of Scripture. So I can't emphasize enough how we need to be wise and discerning in the day in which we're living and when a new experience or a new movement comes blowing through the church. We need to filter it through the scriptures and that is our basis of truth. And if you don't do that, then you can let just about any kind of weirdness come blowing through the church and be a part of our lives. So we want to be discerning that we don't let foolishness grip our lives. So Paul here, as he talks about the foolishness of the world and man's wisdom and all of this, and we study this book very carefully. So we look at the life of Jesus. 
Jesus never taught anything that he wasn't willing to do. was exemplified in his life. We look at the model of the church in the book of Acts. We take on the teaching and exhortations of the epistles. And then we don't have to get caught up in the preaching of foolishness that is done sometimes. So anyway, verse 22, For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Paul says, When I came to you, I gave the message of Christ crucified. And that is to be our message. That is to be our ministry to share that Jesus Christ came to this world and he died for sinners in which all of us are sinners. And he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. He was put into a tomb. He rose again after three days to validate what he did on Calvary's cross. He's alive today. And forgiveness and salvation and right relationship with the Father is possible now as you come to him in faith, surrender your heart to him. That's the message that we're to give. Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as we've talked about before, what can happen in a church is all these discussions and things, and there's nothing wrong with discussions and things like that. But don't forget the central message is Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says that to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. Now the Jews, they would want a sign. Verse 22, they request a sign. You remember in the Gospels that Jesus had been working all kinds of miracles healing all kinds of diseases. And so they came to him, the religious leaders, and said, show us a sign. They wanted some spectacular sign, fire that came from heaven or the parting of the Sea of Galilee, something like that. And Jesus said, no sign will be given to you except for the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want a sign? This sign is going to be given to this generation and every generation. That is the sign of my resurrection. To the Greeks, they wanted some new wisdom. We'll talk about that a little bit more next week. As Paul says, you know that when I first came to you, I came in fear and trembling, much weakness. And I didn't come with the wisdom of man as he continues on this theme but in the demonstration power of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul had been dealing with the philosophers in the city before he came to Corinth, and that was in Athens, there on Mars Hills. So Paul says, I come with a simple message, Jesus and the cross. And then verse 24, But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We need to keep a priority when we minister to others. Let the word of God and the gospel of Christ penetrate people's heart. Let the spirit of God draw them to him. Sometimes we think, well, I've got to give them a sign. So I'll run up to them and start speaking in tongues, you know, and they run away from you because they're afraid. Or if they see some kind of a sign, a miracle, then, then, then they'll believe. And I believe God does work. And I believe that there are things that can take place that can get people's attention, certainly. But if you want to give them a sign, truly, on a regular basis, give them the sign that you're living in that resurrected life. That you are living in that newness of life. That the reality of Jesus Christ is being worked out in you. That they can look at you and say, yeah, you are different. What is it about you? And that you can then express to them Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not going to share with anybody unless I can really persuade them or we think I can argue them into the kingdom of God. 
I've been teaching the Word of God for 18 years, and I've never, never argued somebody into the kingdom of God. I've never, you know, said, if I can win this argument, and I am one that I'm a firm believer in defending the faith and defending the Scriptures, and I can have a discussion with the best of them, but I want to give to them the love of Jesus Christ and the simple message of the cross and let the Spirit of God penetrate their hearts and open up their hearts to those things. But what can happen is if we think that we can argue somebody in the kingdom, it just becomes where you just argue and you argue and you argue. And, and it begins to waste a lot of time. And then you get angry and they get angry or whatever it might be. And there's headbutting and all this other stuff. Give a reasonable answer for the hope that is within us, the scripture says, certainly. You be a student of the word of God, but you give people a simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And you have it lived out in your life, in that resurrected life. And you give them God's wisdom, the wonderful plan of salvation that God has provided through his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.